Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine. A chance to remember that being human means being open to the sweet pain of impermanence, the joy of bearing witness to the challenges others face, and the limitless potential of compassion to elevate all life. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're doing the holidays on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, mass casualty disaster animal rescuer Maggie McGuane. I get dropped into disaster zones a lot, then usually mass casualty events, that's my specialty. And I find there to be a, a special, a special insightful joy that exists when people have come, come so close and seen that light at the end of the tunnel. Maggie's going to share the exhilarating joy of being part of the life force that is our planet. It's time to intervene on behalf of all creatures. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. What a moment we're going through. I'm weird. I'm in a weird state. I kind of pushed through to the other side of this thing. It's hard to describe. There's a lot of pain and suffering going on in my own family right now. And I've been called into way more service than I would have preferred or imagined for myself. But weirdly, instead of trying to create boundaries or hold it in a box so I can get back to work and the joy of creation, I went the other way. I kind of opened more completely to the compassion of the moment felt total open compassion for the pain and suffering of the other. And it felt different, not so much like 
pain, but as if I was metabolizing the pain with my own life force. And weirdly, that left me with no residue. I mean, it wasn't happy, but it was profoundly joyful on a certain level. And it made me understand people who do good works just a little better. It's not some martyrdom or some disaster junkie thing. It's the human metabolism engaged fully in the greater processes of life. You run into these people a lot. I mean, more than you would think. I, you just don't recognize it. I got an email message from one of them, a guy named Theodore Topticlis. He's a New Zealander I met, gosh, you know, 20, 30 years ago when I went out there to discuss narrativity at the opening of a museum. And, uh, He's involved in a project called Entangled Bodies, a workshop experience designed to help people collaborate in new ways. And he's learned a lot about how people engage. And like out of the blue, he sent me an email with this sweet audio message attached. Take a listen. Douglas, you said something in your podcast with Duncan Trussell that really rang a bell with me. It's what made me realize none of the content matters. None of what I say, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is what's my actual moment-to-moment comportment and interaction with other people. And if I can convey a a positive, open, loving way of engaging with other people, that's all you need, you know? We've been discovering in our Entangled Bodies workshops that the key to everything, the magic that opens up the world, is the expression of genuine delight in another person. If you evince... Yeah, evince is a funny word, but I think it's the right one. If you evince spontaneous delight at the discovery of an aspect of another person's way of being that they haven't really paid attention to before, something characteristic and surprising and even funny, then you can permanently change that person by enhancing their life force and their sense of themselves. And if you do this in a group, then your noticing can be taken up and reinforced by the others in the room, multiplying its effect. In this moment, you've also set up a a line of connection between yourself and that other person that's also permanent and changes you in return. So what we're starting to do now is to weave multiple lines of powerful connection whose entanglement can one day change the world. So this means that our work is to make the space and to comport ourselves, your word, in such a way that this kind of detailed noticing and appreciation can naturally happen. And not only does it create delight, but it's so much fun and so rewarding to do as well. If you're not careful, I'm going to evince delight in you one of these days. That's nice, right? And it got me thinking about how it is so many of us have lost this potential or don't have access to it when we need it. Or if I'm some sort of teacher or person who at least models something some of the time, what is it that I've discovered in all this time of trying to tap the vital source of human connection that I can share to help others access it? I I don't know. It's living in the space of obstacles is so very 
difficult. But letting go of that in order to embrace a a rigorous, engaged form of compassion really is available to any of us, particularly those of us who are not immediately, directly undergoing great trauma. Instead of saving our resources, spiritual, physical, financial, whatever, which only depletes them in the long term, we share them with those around us and those resources circulate and grow. It's the difference between stagnancy and respiration, death and life, fear and love. My longtime friend Maggie McGuane has understood this for a long, long time. First, just in her body, I think, as her way of moving through life, and eventually as something she can articulate to others, which she's going to do with us. Maggie is an animal rescuer flying into disaster zones like Haiti and Katrina to find and evacuate dogs and people. You know, she works with the military and doctors, organizing squads on the tarmac, pulling people and animals off rooftops and out of the rubble, solving problems of of logistics just spontaneously. Imagine the world's best wedding planner applying those skills to an emergency refugee crisis and you get some sense of the force of nature that is my friend, Maggie McGuane. Well, hi, Maggie. It's so good to... to see you even like this and to hear your voice after, after all these years. I know. You haven't uh, changed a bit. Uh, I'm trying. I'm a little grayer You're now. You're grayer, but, but... Other than that... I always think of you as this... Uh, like this kind of package of joy, like a little joy elf. It's perfect right around Christmas. Oh, that's true. It's my, my puckish, my puckish sensibilities come out for the holidays. First things first, I, I want people to know, and I still don't even know how it all happened, how you became like a, a, dog and animal saver person. Like I knew back when, like whenever, 20, 30 years ago, I knew you were like a person who did like animal rescues. Like if there was like a a dog that had no home, you would go pick it up and then find it a nice home, even if it had like a missing leg or no mouth or whatever, you'd find someone who wanted it. And, and, but now you like go to like war zones and stuff and rescue animals. It's like, how did that, what is that? And how'd that happen? Well, you know, it's funny. And, and, and by the way, the, the war zone stuff, which luckily those air ops were remote, that, that was people. But I, one thing that I have found is making sense of my story probably isn't going to happen for me, but I'm going to do the best uh, I can to <laughs> <laughs> for others, for others. I, I've had to embrace the mysteries of the universe, and and it's brought me, especially especially since um, helping with some things in Afghanistan. I, I, instead of getting in my head of like, how did I end up here? I've just thought, well, I guess I ended up here. So I started just just like you said. I was a volunteer at our local humane society, and you know, picking up dogs and fostering animals, and and Katrina hit. And I called a, a regional humane society person and said, hey, if there's anything I can do. And I was a you know, single mom and, and really thought I was thinking along the lines of a bake sale. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and he said, how fast can you get down there? And I, I, I think I was so surprised that I just got my ass down there. 
I got down to Gonzales, Louisiana. And from there, it was just a series of kind of odd coincidences. Basically, at the time I was dating a firefighter, I was very familiar with the use of radios and having to go on a dime. And uh, mm-hmm. I was also, I, I think it's important to preface all this by saying that I'm from Montana. And being from Montana means having a lot of skills that you forget other people don't necessarily have. Like tying knots and stuff. Yeah, and and like a little, you know, as we have seen in in getting ready for this podcast, I have no technical skills. But, you know, a lot of hand, you're you're used to having to do things yourself. While that, probably that first 24 hours in Gonzales, um, a, a group of retired and not retired cops and firefighters who were there to help rescue animals got a call. They were a person short and... I happened to be standing there and hustled on my my water rescue gear and said I'm I'm available if you need me and the captain said he was a he was actually a fire chief he said I'd have you at my station any second that was the fastest I've seen someone put the equivalent of turnouts on hopped in the truck and we went and we went in the thing about Katrina is it, everyone was so ill prepared that it was a wild mishmash of um if if you were cleared to pass the military checkpoints which this group was um it was very likely that you would end up doing door to door searches before the military before the national guard there was a there was a vacuum of not just power but uh there was very few protocols in place etc so we found ourselves um in a place called St. Bernard Parish. And I am, uh, as you know, very talkative. <laughs> and, I've, and, and I like to ask people what they need. I don't have, uh, I've never worked officially, I try not to work officially for any organization. So I, I'm happy to like pass out my private cell phone number and my aunt. And, um, and I gave my number to the people at the Army Checkpoint. And they said, look, there's, there's no one who's responded here. And we've had a series of things happen. There was a chemical spill. There was animals piling up. Um, we, need, we need help. So I thought, well, I'll deliver this message back to the headquarters. So we come back at the end of the day, a very traumatic day for me. It was the first time I'd been around a lot of corpses. And I came back. I went in at the time with Katrina there was something called VMAT. It was a, a veterinary response that was, and this is important for, for listeners to understand, um, that was part of Homeland Security and part of the response. One thing that I always say about disasters is the, the boxes that we impose in regular life that make us feel safe, right? Really, like, those are animals. Those people help animals. Those are plant people, those are human people, those are baby people, those are cancer help. It's all a big mishmash in the universe. And the a disaster is a great reflection of what the universe really looks like, which is, ah, uh, those boxes are bullshit. So in a disaster like Katrina, of course, there's a veterinary response because disease doesn't see all of these boundaries. And so there has to be somebody who has an overview of livestock, et cetera, as it, as it relates to human health and safety. So I go to the Homeland Security office slash VMAT and say, okay, here's, here's the scoop. We, this, this area has not had any responders. They're desperate. There's a chemical spell. that You need someone to set up something in there. And the head of operations said, well, that's you. 
and I and I said, "Oh my god, um, I'm a housewife, and I read, <laughs> I wrote a couple articles for Vogue. It's not me. Nope, not me. You're Homeland Security." And he said, "I've been watching you work since you got here." And he said, "And it is you." And furthermore, you, you basically deputized me. I had to go and get my little Homeland Security ID. And then I was off, and I went to St. Bernard Parish. Law, very long story short, I ended up coordinating with a Marine colonel, and we put together the first large-scale air evacuation of animals out of a disaster zone. And it was the first time in my entire life of a lot of ill-fitting things where I found my groove. And the groove is mm. not animals, per se. In fact, I work in in all fields it it's the logistics and the problem solving of getting anything to safety by air air is my specialty mm. um and and i loved it and it was a very hard thing to come back to regular life after katrina and try to explain that it was the happiest time in my life and i still experience that in right. in disasters and i feel i sometimes with with what i do it doesn't really fit a good description. It, I, weirdly, military people get it because they understand that a lot of those boundaries are are silly. But I find any time after an operation, uh, having a hard time explaining how joyful it is. Uh, I get dropped into disaster zones a lot. Then usually mass casualty events, that's my specialty. And I find there to be a, a special a special insightful joy that exists when people have um, come come so close and seen that light at the end of the tunnel. It's interesting because, you know, I mean, I used to feel bad that I enjoyed certain awful things. It's like, you know, I've been with at least, you know, six or seven people as they've expired, mm. as they've died. And we share that in common, by the way. Oh, you've yeah, it's a thing, right? And I've been there been the one in the hospital room or in the bedroom and everyone else is gone because they always go at three, four in the morning <laughs> when I happen to be the person there holding their hand and they're gone. And while I, it's sad that the person's dying, the person was already dying. The sadness was already been there for the mm -hmm. week. Now in the, 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 the privilege of bearing witness to their transition of being the, of being essentially invited to experience the most intimate moment of their life. You know, it's more intimate than sex. Mm. It's more intimate than childbirth. It's going. It's this is it, the existential moment. To be there with them through that crossing, whether they're going somewhere or not, it's it the, the, It opens a heart. It opens a certain a, 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 a dimension of compassion that's – while painful on one level, is so profoundly um, uh, joyful and and fulfilling to to experience that compassion. It's sort of like when I when I imagine um when you see Ram Das and someone you know it, it when someone would describe something terrible to him and he's got this joyful smile when they're talking about you know the death of their baby or their miscarriage or losing their leg and he's like ah you know the compassion is filling him in some sense with joy the way he's metabolizing the thing but for me there's always this guilt associated with that too it's like I'm in an operating room I'm helping somebody or I'm in an emergency situation and it's like well how dare I also experience the 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 joy of being present with that. Oh, no, I think it's so important to, and I also think, and this is like, by the way, I, I, 
I I hope it's okay that I share some of my crackpot theories on your podcast. Please. I have come because I, I experience the same thing a lot of times, situations with animals. And and I'm not, I do not have my shit together in the rest of life. But I think that what happens in those moments when people are expiring or when everything has been obliterated, all of mm. the brain activity, all of the noise, I have just kind of started to view my life through my brain activity and it makes a lot more sense to me. All the noise stops and the part of brain activity that is connection has volume on high. And that is the feeling, I think, that whether we call it joy or connection or all of these things, it's that function of our brains that is working best. And if it's in someone like me, you you seem you have a pretty functional person, but for me, that's that functions so much better than anything else in my brain. My life is a little bit right. neurodivergent where no, everything else feels a noisy and confusing, but as soon as that noise is gone and it is just me and other living creatures, the world as it is functioning together, and that is so important when you're with somebody as they pass on, that right. is, I believe, why we are here. And what we're supposed to, what what other species understand which is, you know, symbiosis is how we survive. And and being assisting somebody as they transition into death is one of the most strangely symbiotic experiences you can have. One of you is going to live, one of you is going to pass, but you're going to have to cross over in some ways together. And the same thing in disasters. All mm -hmm. the other external noise, oh, damn, is that deadline? Is, you know, did I pay right. that bill? Am I fat? Did, it's so, <laughs> it's all gone. Right, the Greek chorus. <laughs> yes. There's this Greek chorus that's just singing all the time. Oh, you wronged that person. Oh, you're not totally. this. You're, you're inferior. <laughs> and it's like, you go to these intense moments and it's like, all of that, it's like, oh my God, that's just this weird socialized neurotic <laughs> totally. crap. You know, here we are, God's creatures beneath the sun, just trying to get through another day together. And it's like, ah, uh, you know, you've got to meditate like a 20,000 hours to get there or, you know, go to a disaster zone <laughs> yeah. and rescue a beagle from a tree, totally. right? Wade through, you know, <laughs> several thousand corpses and then try to try to focus on whether it matters uh. that you forgot to pay a bill. And 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 by the way, it, uh mass casualty disaster, I I was one of the I was a very early, they embedded me, quote unquote, early in Abaco after Hurricane Dor Dorian and Abaco was obliterated. And I stayed. I stayed with a man who had survived uh, the storm. We had a little kind of half concrete lean-to. We took turns sleeping. We had a sawed-off shotgun. We uh, A couple nights it got cold and we burned dead dogs in a barrel. And we kind of made it until like large, you know, there was military response until lar larger nonprofits moved in. And in the meantime, we were kind of setting up shops so that I could start flying, flying things out. And um, – you experience something like that and that connection to other human beings, eventually three Haitian survivors kind of filtered in. We all kind of lived together there. And you and everything 
what matters matters so much and what doesn't matter really doesn't matter. I remember a journalist mm. kind of a- arriving to kind of take take uh, assess everything. And when he got off on the tarmac, which was a militarized tarmac at that point, he said, you know, I've got some cash. I understand there's no electricity for ATMs. And I was like, what? What are you gonna do with cash? In, like, <laughs> it was it was so funny and silly, and um and you know for that first week it was really a trade economy which was wonderful and but it is it is the economy of being part of, and it it doesn't matter what one is part of as part of uh, the the life force that is our planet, and. I it makes it makes anything individual fe- feel very um selfish isn't the right word just dumb. I wish I was smarter. You know, I didn't go to college. I had kids early. I got married as a teenager and a lot of times I feel I was very nervous coming on your show because I thought, "Oh my god, I mm. looked at your past guests and I was like, these are super smart people. I don't know shit from <laughs> Shinola." And I don't have the words and yet I think in some ways not having the words has helped me. I, 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 I have had the these experiences that I know to be true. I wish I could tell your listeners in a better way, but as this, as the world around us um, splinters and people argue and people, I just want to kind of run around going, "You guys are not. You guys got it wrong. You have it wrong." And at the, you, we got to figure this out because there is some other truth that is uh is very real and i feel it in a in a unfortunately a way that is really hard to explain non-linearly yeah and a lot of the things the things people are arguing about and getting so wrong are you know they're really you know large scale ideological approaches that really don't matter for 99.999% of us in terms of the choices we make as we move mm-hmm. <laughs> as we move through yeah. our lives. And it's also still based it's still based in the human ego, the idea of ideas being who we are. It's so disconnected and I think that it's led to a lot of anxiety. I think that um I think that we're all trying to solve the world's problems with our words when the animal part of ourselves, and I can tell you this working with animals right now, the animal part of ourselves is still alive and kicking and going, oh, it's not supposed to be this hot in December. Um, That storm wasn't supposed to be so big. What the fuck is going on? Right. And the animals do know this, right? They're like freaked out, aren't they? They're freaked out. And I'll tell you something. Here in Montana, I I have definitely been aware of – waves of change in the last couple of years, especially where, um, you know, there, there's a lot of people moving to Montana. You feel there's suddenly we have a bear that kind of took up residence that so you could, I could tell he was freaked out. I, my favorite part of my job, um, especially when I'm doing just regular routine animal transports with wings of rescue is, the tarmac is tarmacs I work on are often very busy and loud, and there's hundreds of animals crated, and they're terrified. And I always feel I can feel it in my chest. And I love kind of just having, before I put my headset on and ready to get on the plane, having these moments of crouched down next to these kennels and just kind of telepathically or whatever, feeling feeling their fear and letting them feel my protection. 
and letting mm. them feel that it's going to be okay. And I feel like every human in the world right now very much needs that. It's, you know, I now know. unfortunately Just my the, version of it's going to be okay is like, it's going to be okay because there's many different, you know, you might pass over into another different place. I mean, who knows what's going to happen to the world? We haven't taken yeah, good care of it. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it it's, does it's that somebody is caring for you. That somebody, you know, I, I had this, it doesn't even matter the situation, but my my literary agent, you know, without telling me behind my back, went and did something really good for my my book, you know, making sure my my uh, the publisher meets a deadline and all. And I never had an agent before side with me. I always feel like the agents always kind of circle the wagons with the publishers and the corporations. So this is like all those yeah. corporate people watch each other's backs and make sure they can still have their three martini lunches or whatever they do with each <laughs> other. And I, I'm just out on the and and she just did this like and. And more than the result of it was just the feeling almost made me want to cry that she has my back. Yeah. She has my back. And even if it failed, she would have at least tried and she would have borne witness to an injustice or, you know, that's that's all that's all that we want. Is, that's all the animals want too is you're there. You're holding their friggin' paw. And here's the thing. That is the magic of kindness. One thing that has mm. happened as we have put so many things in boxes is we have decided that kindness and, and kind acts are only for, you know, on a larger scale, only for these nonprofits who are in charge of kindness, right? Only for kind. Right. They've usurped <laughs> They've kindness totally from usurped. the people. Yeah, it's a, like, there's a reason, <laughs> except for Wings of Rescue, thank God for Rick Browdy, who just lets me do my thing. I, you know, I don't work for larger organizations because it seems silly to just help dogs. When I first arrived in Abaco, I mean, God save me, I think I never got caught and I'm about to out myself. I took my husband's credit card and I went to a Home Depot because I knew that there was still people in the hospital and they had no power and they had a lot of medications that needed to be um, needed to be in refrigerators. So I went to Home Depot and on his Amex, I put, uh, I put a bunch of generators, everything I could fit on that plane, our weight capacity. So generators, mini fridges, cords, tarps. Um, I was like, if I get caught, God save me. But I figured I could intercept the mail enough and try to like pay it off in slow bits and loaded up that plane. But I, in doing that, I understood that except for Wings of Rescue, most animal organizations, that's, you, I'd have the kibosh put on me for that. You can only handle one thing. That's a side note. The bigger note is that we, we have somehow, society has told us, and I think this started probably with religion, that only saintly people can practice that magic of kindness. And the truth is, I'm an asshole. I'm an asshole like every other kind of asshole looking for redemption for the kind of asshole things I do in my day-to-day. -day. I'm a fuck-up. I'm all the things that when I get on the ground in a disaster or in times where people really need help, in fact, a lot of times it's the people who understand what it's like to feel high and dry who really can mm. extend extend a hand. And the other the other myth of the magic of kindness is that the person that it makes feel good is the recipient. It makes the doer feel good. I mean, I have a fury with therapists because I think, 
oh, you sons of bitches, you need, you're wasting all this time and money getting people to think about themselves and they stay sad. Think about others and this weird thing lifts. I have a lot of sadness in my life. I've had lots of me. My mother committed suicide on Mother's Day to make the point of how much she hated being my mother. And I, I, people, and certainly I've tried to process it and talk about it, but it was all in terms of my heaviness. And then I got deployed to Abaco really just a few months later. And suddenly for the first time, again, not thinking about my own sadness and not focusing on other people's sadness, just being part of the magic of kindness, everything cleared. And the idea that there are gatekeepers to these acts, the idea that you have to go through the Red Cross or the this or that, how about this? Like, just ask people what they need. It might be your next door neighbor. It might be your next door neighbor who loves Trump and yeah. say, hey, are you okay? I saw you were snowed in. It, but those little acts yeah. bring us together. It's interesting. It It is. It's interesting. And, and that that is our source of power. And you can look at it, you know, the way you are from an almost, uh, uh, and I don't mean it uh, with a capital C, but... Uh, but but uh, an almost Christian perspective of we're connected to our compassion, which is our power and our 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 way of flourishing as a human being is is there. But you can also look at it from an almost a Marxist perspective of the market comes in and gets in the way of people just trying to do things for each other. You know that that making pizza well for other people in your town, even if they pay you a buck a slice, is the gift, yes. right? There's the guy, he makes the, he loves it because he knows someone's going to eat it. He wants it to crunch just right in their yes. mouth and give them that feeling, right? And that's that's exchange. It's loving, real exchange. It's commercial in a way, but it's it's just the exchange of, of energy. Yeah. Of, of, of value. And the same with, with you know, the old lady wanting to just volunteer. I'll take care of your kids this afternoon. I will. And it's like, why aren't you going to let her do that? Well, then we're going to owe her something. Then she's going to want to come <laughs> over and, you know, and, and, and sing Christmas carols and Christmas time. It's like, so what? She's your community. And, and I'm looking at all of these businesses and organizations and NGOs arise to fill in because people are, they, they learn to be almost uh, 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 phobic of the soft, squishy, undefined, what does it mean if you've just nurtured me? Now what do I owe you? And what, what, what? Well, and, and here's the other thing that really, and I think this is maybe slightly newer and really dangerous and really worries me, is there's also only certain things, certain types of people are supposed to help with. And so right. I... I've always struggled. We leave a disaster and it's always a hard transition because for the most part, we don't really want to know what it really looks like in the heart of a disaster. And, you know, again, mm. back to the market, you know, God, God forbid people know what is possible. They might stop spending money, which is, by the way, completely right. not true. I spend money like a motherfucker because I'm like, hey, we could die tomorrow. <laughs> um, why would I save that? <laughs> I mean, but I – uh as I said, I've worked a lot with people in the military and um, and I back in, I guess it started in August, I got a phone call from a woman that I adore. I met her in a, on a tarmac in, uh, in Texas after a disaster. She's a badass helicopter pilot with the army. And, uh, and she called me and her brother, she basically, as with anyone in the military, had a lot of 
friends and family whose translators and translators' families, et cetera, needed, needed help out. It, it was heartbreaking in some ways that like it came down to asking a, a dog rescuer if they had any leads on air operations and they needed assistance with that. But at the same time, I can't, I can't preach about all these dumb boxes and keep myself in one. So I was like, well, let me see what I can do. This led to a, a um, probably, God, I don't know how long it went on, a month, a month and a half of, of 24 hours a day coordinating with a variety of people, including uh, this woman's brother who works with an extraordinary group. They're mostly former Green Berets, special ops people who are now in medicine. They're called the Global Surgical Medical Group. Um, and we busted our asses to get people out of there. I, um, and, and just a coordination effort that was extraordinary. And this is people, not this just- This was no animals, not, no not animals. Just, not yeah, animals. this was people. And that was one of the sets of people I worked with. I, I was getting calls from uh, people. There was, there was a woman who had been a photo editor who was putting me in charge of people that journalist friends of hers had met. And we kind of, and it was a, it was a nose to the grindstone 24 hours a day very, very in intense operation with me as a kind of, uh, I don't know, I, the, the filter, you know, a lot of paperwork, mm. a lot of all kind. I learned a, a lot quickly about, you know, how to get people on the phone and, uh, and, and all of the different things that had to be in order, a lot of clearances. And, and a lot of it was quite intense. I mean, there was one day where we finally had everything ready for people to start heading to the airport. One of my contacts on the ground frantically was telling me to turn them around um, because of a lead they had on on Haqqani Network at some of the checkpoints. And I ended up, you know, screaming in the phone with these people, no, you have to leave. I don't know why you have to trust me. A lot of this, a lot of anything I do is built on just like trusting the universe. I don't know. I trust this. You got to turn around. That was when all the IEDs exploded. It was an intense run. I was feeling my groove. I love logistics more than anything in the world. I was like, this is what mm. I was put on earth to do. And then huh. about two thirds of the way through, I had to do some normal life things. I had to go to a memorial service. I had to, and I was suddenly, you know, touching base with people in my regular life. And somehow in this time period, it became not okay for a liberal to be helping former Green Bird, like, it was, uh, I was suddenly in no bueno. <laughs> and I, I was like, wait, uh, what? But these are women. These are women who are in danger because they are, you know, one was the only PhD in Kabul at the time. And, and suddenly no one wanted to hear about it. Suddenly nobody, it made people uncomfortable because the conservatives had kind of, you know, Fox News had co-opted this as a cause. And we were, and I was like, what is going on? Wait a minute. You're, you can only be kind in one box or another in our country now? You can only care about certain things? This is nonsense. This is absolute nonsense. And I can only be friends and assist certain types of people. You know, my life is, is, uh, I love, I have come to, I mean, God, the, my main contact at, at Global Surgical Medical, 
first of all, like they briefly got kicked off Instagram at one point because there's, you know, they are blurred faces and big guns as they go into places. You know, if, if you're going to perform brain surgery on someone in a war zone, yeah. you probably have a gun. If I'm going to ask assistance for some people <laughs> to like, you know, one of my families, they, their neighbors, I, I, we put them in a safe house. Their next door neighbor got hung as a warning. And like, what? I'm not going to uh. send someone from the fucking ASPCA in to get them. Come on. And, but I love these people. I love my helicopter friend, woman, Emily, who it started these connections. Now, she has very different politics than me and the kind of politics that most people would consider abhorrent that I, I, but I can tell you, I love them in a profound way. Yeah. Well, that's because, you know, and I think people don't get this yet, is that for most people, their political leanings are really much more like, what television shows do you like? Yeah, that's true. Than anything to do with the real yeah. world, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that if we all learned, we've been, we've all gotten a bunch of rules put on us that are such nonsense that I think feel like if we could break all the rules for a minute to come together, which I was kind of hoping the pandemic would do, if we could all learn that the rules keep us separate and now are keeping us on the decline. And, you know, here's an odd thing that I never saw coming. I found myself very patriotic as I see my my country mm. splinter. I'm like, wait, I love this place and I love Americans. And I think I, I love being an American. And I don't I don't want this to be happening. And I want to kind of run around in my one of my big um gripes and certainly with the last election is like everybody's going ego first in this country right now and so as somebody who's yeah. very entrenched in liberal america like a lot of it is very condescending language and like how about how about we all just talk normally and be able to translate it's weird yeah cuz that the the idea of the american project is so lost on people i mean for me you know because I always heard it from my grandparents who came here from, you know, whether the pogroms or the Nazis and the Cossacks and this, it was like, here's a place where the very foundation of the place is that we're allowed to live here safely. Yes. Imagine that, <laughs> you know? And they're like, we love America. They loved America more than Israel, more than anything. They loved America because it's this, it's this place where we get to be who we are and don't have to be ashamed of who we are. And no one's going to hurt us for that. Um, and, and, that, that those ideals of of cooperation, collaboration, you know, whether you think of it as multiculti or melting pot, it doesn't really matter. That that here was this this the the sort of original understandings of freedom are so different than what we're calling liberty today. You know, the the, the liberty libertarian uh, uh, kind of Darwinian survival of the fittest. That's yeah. liberty. It's like no, no. <laughs> that's something else. Well, we all. I think that you know. I I mean, I I definitely feel like there was one generation that really derailed all of us, and that was you know my my parents' generation in some ways. We, yeah. they, everyone got so obsessed with their own feelings and the idea that everything was feeling based and that you could navel gaze huh. your way. Well, guess what? You know, thinking about yourself and nothing but yourself never built a country. Thinking about. No. <laughs> It's like, and that was the that was the real problem that the new age even took it even further. That whole idea, of, you know, that Maslow and Esalen and self actualization. Even though that wasn't what Maslow really wanted, that's what people took: self improvement, self actualization. And it's like, 
what, there is no, you can't actualize a self <laughs> because there is no self. Sorry. <laughs> you know. Hate to break it to you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All you got to do is be a lonely old fart, you know? But I know what you mean. There was like, it was really sweet. I mean, I was raised with like Marlo Thomas and Free to Be You and Me, mm-hmm. that sort of Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, hold our hands around the world and kumbaya and love each other. And there's still, I still, there's some of that. But, but it, you're right. When that got so commercialized or so, when that became self centered, we kind of, we kind of lost. We really. Well, and, and so many things, we lost the plot and then so many things became about that. So in other words, um, helping other people became about feeling good about yourself. Right. Our political opinions became feeling our self-esteem. I feel better than because I am so proud of what I believe in. Everything became about the self and we it, we formalized barriers between um, those who help and those who receive help. Well, even we did it a little bit though in the beginning of our conversation talking about how good yeah, it feels yeah. to be helping others. I but mean, it does feel good, but it feels good in a weird way. You don't feel good about yourself. You actually just, it's like a main line right. of joy and it's really hard to describe that to people. It's a main line of joy. You actually disappear totally. is the thing. You're not even there it's a anymore. <laughs> like, you know, you have this little, yeah. like, that's why, uh, as I, I told you earlier, at some point, uh, this this child who had contacted me, who um, very interesting kid, and he's currently studying at uh, that Ad Astra school. And he's he said to me, he, he was the one who gave me the idea of kindness being magic. He said it's it's the only form of magic mm-hmm. humans have consistent access to, but they choose not to practice it. And if you if you <laughs> practice it and you feel it. It is. It's just a hit of something different. And for me, and and I don't know what this is in me, but it's a hit of – I've spent a lot of my life feeling um, like something is very much missing. I don't mean in terms of purpose or anything like that. Like just doesn't – my life has been very strange and something – it's like I speak – it's like there's a language being spoken I don't understand. I've just never understood regular life. But that magic <laughs> is this like weird – it's got to be – I mean, obviously, it's some kind of, you know, neurological activity or something. But it hits and you're like, oh, that. Which is funny because I've heard that that's how people who are addicted to painkillers feel when they first take a painkiller, which is like, oh, that's what I'm missing. But it is. It's this feeling that's not about the self, but it's a good feeling. It's a little bit like what, you know, it's a, it's a lot like oxytocin where you're like, oh, this. I remember when I first gave birth and was like, oh, this feeling is why we're here. Mm. And when everything becomes a way of trying to control, self-esteem, et cetera, again, all about the – it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. I've often thought that having a a difficult childhood where – in a generation that was all being told to feel good about themselves and I I was – you know, consistently had, had a you know, troubled mom who was used to, you know, say, life's going to be hard. You're not smart like other people. You're not beautiful like I am. And I understand that the, the, I'm supposed to overcome that. This is going to be a little odd, but trust me on this. Just go with me on this one because I really believe this. I okay. think about it a lot. Having and, and, you know, it's funny. It was a private part of her that really became more public after she died. And she had written extensively about 
kind of what a piece of shit she thought her daughter was. And um, uh, and do, you know, do people know who your mom was? My mother was a, a, an actress <laughs> named Margot Kidder. Yeah. And she um, she committed suicide on Mother's Day three years ago. And and she was most famous, I guess, for playing Lois Lane in the Superman movie. Exactly. The interesting thing and about my mother, yeah. um, that she was very politically active. Um, and she also uh, she also fucked everyone in politics. Um, so, so. <laughs> well, she was like a, like Pierre Trudeau yeah. and, and that whole world. And then, and then she was a big Esselin swimming with the dolphins. And, that was, that and, was me. And John she Lilly signed and, me up for, I mean, uh, UCLA <laughs> neurological. Like I spent a lot of weekends with a lot of things hooked up to my head. When Stranger Things came out, my son was like, uh, mom, this is like the stuff you describe your childhood. And I was like, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Fun. I mean, I thought the dolphin thing, I, I used to tell the story because I thought it was funny i used to call it the dolphin fuckers house because at one point my mom was like you know one of them fucks a dolphin but like why i don't i don't know i just like you learn to ask <laughs> zero questions and that's and right and, and a lot of it but the message that i got consistently from my mom which she, she delivered privately was um you know here are all the things that are wrong with you now i understand that what i'm supposed to do and and especially my mom felt she was very special. She she talked a lot about her specialness. She talked a lot about her IQ. She talked a lot about um, the reason she had affairs with all of these important politicians was because she was a special kind of genius that was sharing it through lovemaking, etc. And I was not special. And I was not pretty like she was. I didn't have a good work ethic. I wasn't smart like she was. And Instead of overcoming that, which I, you know, I, and I tried therapy and all of that, what I have found is when I, when I kind of went, well, oh, maybe I'm not, and started not worrying about being important and being kind of resigning myself to what my mother thought I should resign myself to, which was um, not famous, not all of these things, I found joy. Because none of us yeah. are special. No, none of us right. are – none of us cheat death. Not, and so once you go, well, you know what? I guess this is – I guess being part of – I guess this isn't about me. And I find – I kind of think, thank God I didn't kind of keep pursuing some quest to be special and feel better than because that's kind of fucked our country right now. Well, in some, yeah, in some external way, yeah. But you are, sorry to say, you are one of those special unicorn people, oh, though. Thank you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, think, I think being part of is special. And I think also, I right. think if you think you're worth, I didn't speak a lot during childhood. I, I, you know, especially with my mom, it was easy to make her mad. And you kind of. But she talked a lot, she talked too. A lot. So there wasn't that much time. And I think that once. I kind of under I I felt more I got more okay with realizing that my universe exists a lot within the sixth sense, uh, and kind of in in the in the places that we don't have words yet. And I think that's so important as the world changes right now. I think we don't really have the words for what's going on. That's okay. We forget that words right. really limit 
our, our thoughts. We think that we're using words to describe our thoughts when in fact words are shaping our thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Words are opaque. I mean, I mean, that's why even in Torah, you know, they try to make the words, they're, they're, they're written in letters that are supposed to be like flame. Mm. And the idea is to make them as transparent as possible because the letters are opaque. They lock, they lock things down. Like, like we were saying the other day, you know, the, the, the ticks of the clock, we think those are the seconds, but no, the seconds happen between those ticks. That's when life's actually happening. You can only, you know, measure there these, these little opaque dots of, of, of language or, uh, uh, substance or time or units. Um, and we're living in that other, that other thing, the thing that we think is that rare liminal space is actually the majority yes. of human experience. And it's the majority. <laughs> it's it's, we really shoot ourselves in the foot by deciding that words are what, you know, the qualifying things for, you know, wisdom. And so for me, where we've really lost the plot is I go, um, guys, I hate to break it to you, but like go to a disaster. The animals have survived. And we have, you know, humans have used words to talk themselves out of evacuating. Humans have used words. To, that's the big one. You know, I, I, I have ended up doing a lot of reading about cognition because, man, Katrina baffled me. Every disaster I go to, I'm like, wait, why did these people stay? Because we use words mm. to describe our own specialness. We use words that to enforce our cognitive bias. No, I know better. Mm. And it, and you know, if you if you read a lot about cognition and and heuristics and cognitive bias, these are the things that yeah, okay, you know, I always describe the the natural natural geographic videos of the river where there's like the crocodiles jumping up and eating animals, but they still keep crossing. And when people say things like, well, I actually have, I actually know a lot about COVID. I'm special. And so that's why I'm not going to get it. I'm like, eh, you're one of the gazelles crossing the river. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you too are, you're going to get it but too. If, but using, oh, no. we real we have to, as is certainly in facing a pandemic and now, you know, just these cascading overlapping natural disasters, man, we better, I, I call everyone made fun of me, but during the start of the pandemic, I did what I think everyone should do before a disaster with my family, which is we had check yourself before you wreck yourself time, which is checking your cognitive biases are, you know, and, and I think that you can skip all of that if you just get more comfortable with being in touch with your animal self. Do I feel a little scared? Like, let's stop calling fear anxiety. There is something that is anxiety. There's also being scared. So this summer, for instance, in Montana, we had the, the sky was full of smoke constantly. There's so many fires, right? And everything is smoky. And people kept talking about they were having problems with anxiety. And I was like, um, you're not having problems with anxiety. There's smoke in there, which means there's fire near. That's called being scared. That's not anxiety. <laughs> That's being scared. Right. Well, that's the thing I always wonder about, though, is, is I mean, this is a, a, a over overgeneralization, but people in red states, like where you are, they're more in touch with the natural environment, with the real world, you know, than we are. Yet, they seem less less likely to believe that climate change is actually happening. Yeah. I mean, here's the tricky part with that, though, is that I do think certainly in like, you know, fundamentalist Mormon culture and all these religious things, and this is back to words and the danger of words, well, people are talking about 
Armageddon and end of times and all this stuff. What if we all stopped using words and we realized like, oh, shit, we're all talking about the same thing and that it feels like it's right here. Like, you know, maybe maybe people have more in common than they, you know, I just think this is a farce. I see, I know a lot of people in agriculture and all this, these ideas of people being anti-science. What if we, what if we found commonalities that had more to do with experience and less to do with knowledge? We'd have more, we all mm. actually have a fair amount in common. Right. Or more to do with what's happening than where we think exactly. it's going. Exactly. And, and also yeah. more to do with the fact, I, I just think, I, I, I've said this to you on the phone before, but scared dogs bite and everyone's a little scared right now. And that's okay. But mm. we're all just a little scared because everything is different. And everything's a little scary. It just, we've just decided that we're supposed to know what we're scared of. So everyone's put a label on it. I'm scared of, you know, this being a communist takeover of our country. I'm scared of everyone with guns. Well, shit, maybe if we just say, we don't know what we're scared of, but it's scary as shit. I was kind of excited when there was that, like, and I have zero interest in space or UFOs. Ironic, considering apparently I was run through every program to, like, communicate it with outer (laughs) space. But, um, uh, and I, when there was that, like, brief blip of, like, UFO interest, I was like, yes, something totally neutral that we can be scared of together that is pretty fucking scary. <laughs> like an alien invasion? Right. Hell yes, bring it. We can't politicize that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about about all of this is that the, the, the response, the response it demands of us is the same and cures everything, right? If people had more compassion for each other, did more things for each other, did more favors for each other, were engaged more locally with each other in the real world, that solves climate crisis. Yes. That solves economic uh, inequality. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's like so, it's so much easier to unwind it than to fight Completely. about it. Completely. Absolutely. By the way, um, if I suddenly, there is a, there is a massive crazy blizzard descending on my home. So if I knock out, it's just because our Wi-Fi suddenly dropped. Uh, anyway, there's a, a couple of things I wanted to ask you uh, spe- specifically. I, I had this experience that I just remembered because um, I didn't tell anybody because it happened and I didn't want to tell my family because it was too upsetting. But um, there are these two little squirrels that play in our backyard every mm-hmm. morning. At like, you know, seven, eight. And I always see them when I'm like making the coffee or whatever. And they play. It looks like fighting, but it's not. It's, it's, they wouldn't do it every day if it was fighting. They, they go on, we got this hammock and they, they, they fight on it and they crawl on each other. And, and uh, a few months ago, they were fighting up in the tree and one of them fell off the branch and landed on the driveway and died. And the other one stood up there a while waiting. Then it went down to the body of its friend and it sat there making this sound like that for an hour or two. And it, did it, not that you have to know all, did it know that its friend was dead? Yes, of course. Animals mourn. Now, animals who mourn in, in really complicated ways you know, crows mourn often by practicing necrophilia, which is humans and crows are the only species that do that. But 
they all, I think that they're all, all creatures. And I think this applies to probably trees and plants and fungi too, experience grief and loss. And that is, that is the commonality that, uh, there's, there is both some. Ah, and there she goes. We've just lost Maggie McGrain to the blizzards of Montana. Um, hopefully we'll have her back soon. So Maggie, it looks like your blizzard is cutting you out. So yes. let's take this opportunity at least to say um, goodbye and I love you and and gosh, carry on. Um, you too, Doug. I'm so happy we're back in touch and um, and I got to tell you, I I am I am so happy when I discovered Team Human and discovered this movement. It made so much sense to me, and it, it like rests in a place in my heart of the the it's going to be okay. Um, and there's a there's a a movement that's happening, and there's there are people on it. Yeah, you know, you're on it. It's going to be okay. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, and you're definitely on it. Thanks, thanks so much for being on on Team Human in the in the most real way in the in the way that predates this this podcast and the Team Human Enterprise. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me, and thank you. Hey, thank you also for taking a taking a, a risk on somebody who is certainly not uh, got the credentials of your other guests, who are remarkable. I feel like I'm going to college all over again because I often listen listen to the podcast on my flights. Well, as you it's might awesome. say, uh, credentials are just words. That's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> and thank you for being on Team Human. If you want to support Maggie's work, please go to wingsofrescue.org and make a donation or adopt a rescued animal. You can always find the link at teamhuman.fm where you can click on support to become a supporting member of our team. This has been quite a year, and I think we all see that the stuff we always say we hope is finally behind us is actually still ahead of us. And I think our best choice moving forward is not simply to wish that the bad stuff goes away, but that we have the compassion of spirit to carry each other through it. On behalf of our producer, Joshua Chaplin, our engineer, Luke Robert Mason, and everyone on Team Human, I wish you happy holidays. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.